0: dave thank you appreciate your humble spirit and uh, clarity about all of that let's go ahead and take a moment and uh, greet uh, those to our left or right i know we've got some guests here today and some maybe uh folks that we haven't seen for a while Okay. Find your seat again. Hard to do. All right, church, go ahead and have a seat. Hey, Jones. All right. Hey, uh, if you are a guest here today, we want to say uh, welcome to you. And uh, wow, just you can tell that the, uh, we enjoy being together. You can tell that as the volume and the energy goes up so immediately when we uh, do a greeting like that. What? Have we gone into four rows? One, two, three, four, five there with, uh, with the youth this morning. So uh I got a feeling there's a group here that's getting ready for camp, and uh, we're thankful about that. All right, as already has been said, and as Jeremy shared earlier, and as Dave said, so many good things going on in the life of the church, and a number of uh, folks that uh, haven't been around a whole lot for the last couple of years for obvious reasons, and there's one right back there raising his hand, all right, happy to... Happy to have you here, brother. All right. Uh, so it's uh, good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, Demetrius, go ahead and stand up here. I, wanna, I don't know if you've met Demetrius, uh, but I, I want to just share a couple of thoughts that happened uh, after. You can go ahead and sit down again. I just wanted everybody to see you back there. After my sermon last week, go ahead and put up the first... Oh, we got the slide here. Who am I? And as we're going through the Gospel of Luke... Some questions were raised and I raised the question, who am I? Seems to be a, a a pertinent question that is being asked in this gospel and then being challenged in the life of Jesus. But I want after my sermon last week and I put this slide up, Demetrius got out his pen and he started writing some thoughts out. I just wanted to share a little bit of this and maybe some of you can relate. Others, if you can't relate, we'll get to know him better. Okay, here's what he said, my name is Demetrius, I'm 25-year-old African-American male, who am I? Son to my mother and the baby of seven kids, and son to my father, baby of five kids. Who am I? A young man seeking more opportunities in life. I'm a person who wants to get connected with God, but sometimes it's hard. Can anybody relate to that? I'm a person who loves God and loves to worship as much as I can. Who am I? A person that doesn't give enough accountability to himself. I got his permission before I shared this. And say, man, I did that and that looks amazing. Who am I? I'm a person who loves sports. Go Royals, what? Uh, Go Seahawks, go Blues. To coach and to mentor kids, I'm a person who loves helping people in a time of need, and any chance I get, who am I? I'm the person, the man, my mom, and God told me no matter what happens in life, whatever you start, you finish, who am I? Just another kid from the streets of St. Louis City Hood with gangs, drugs, and money, and people getting killed every day playing outside with drive-by shootings, never knowing what can happen to you? Who am I? I'm the kid that found things he loved to do, stuck to my goals and my dreams, and made it out. This question, who am I, is a question of identity. And while I am consciously asking this question this morning, I believe most of us, and maybe most of the time, are subconsciously or unconsciously at some level, maybe not even aware, a level of awareness, asking ourselves this question. And out of this... Comes a lot of different answers, and particularly if we listen to the voices around us, it goes something like this Well, just be yourself. To be yourself is to know yourself. Follow your heart. In fact, one could say that in 2022, personal identity, that question of who am I, is a do-it-yourself project. A survey, even a few years ago, 2015, found that 91% of the people polled believed the best way to answer that question is to look inside yourself. The premise is that to look anywhere else is to put yourself under Someone that may put you down or may oppress you. So most people today believe there is only one place to look to find yourself, and that is to look within. So the common phrase or the the slang way of saying it is this way, you do you. Now, as even a few years ago, Elsa from Frozen, now viewed 1.5 billion times on YouTube, here's what she sings. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right or wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You do you, Elsa. And her approach to handling her identity uneasiness, which is what so much of the movie is about, is to look within. And so we have Facebook. And aren't we happy? that ultimate tool of self-definition, and you get to choose which photos you upload, and you get to choose the words in your self-description, and you get to choose when and what you post, what could be more self-made than your presentation of yourself? On Facebook. You do you. This way of looking at the world is being referred to by sociologists and philosophers as expressive individualism. Whether the survey from 2015 or ELSA or Facebook, they all point to answering the question, who am I by looking within. Meanwhile, external authorities are to be rejected. Taken to its logical limit, the Bible, the Judeo-Christian culture, The church, God Himself are not trusted sources for answering these basic questions. Now, if you lived in 1563, and none of us do, that's a while ago, and And uh, you might have been in Germany when this was written at the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563. The question posed at the beginning of the catechism is this. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own. I don't know how that could be further from today's mindset. And what was seen as freeing back then is now a threat to our liberty. And if the catechism then in 1563 were rewritten to today and the question was asked again, What is your only comfort in life and death? In other words, what keeps you motivated, inspired, and going every day? So many of us would answer that I am my own and can be whatever and whoever I want to be and nobody. Can stop me. Now the question is. Can they both be right? Can what was true in 1563. Now rephrased in 2022. Are we on two very divergent paths. Now let me pause for just a second and say, none, no one of us can stand on dry land apart from this expressive individualism. We are all swimming in it. It is inevitable. And it's likely that many of us, if not most of us, are very, very sympathetic to it. I mean, how many of us would eagerly critique Elsa or any Disney movie? And if you did, where would it get you? And I want to suggest that there are at least two under- Standable values that are operating in this expressive individualism identity and one is the demand for authenticity which is pervasive in our culture. Be true to yourself, authenticity is of great value, you are who you feel yourself to be on the inside and you need to act consistent with your feelings and that's what makes you authentic and this applies to personal identity and often today then has the final word as it relates to gender, as it relates to politics, as it relates to how you view wealth, as it relates to your career, Demand for authenticity, it's not a bad thing. The second value that goes along with this expressive individualism is the demand for dignity. So many people have felt left out of traditional identities, whether career or family or because of race, that they too have a desire for recognition and acceptance and because of that in in a desire to find some kind of somebody to believe, will believe in me, communities and arise with, L-G-B-T-Q-I-A-2-S-plus. All in an attempt, or maybe not all, but at least part of this, is to self-identify. And agree or disagree, I hope you can understand and empathize But I have another question this morning. Is it working? Is this working? This question raised by Brian Rosner in his book, How to Find Yourself and Why Looking Inward Is Not the Answer. That's the title. I think you can kind of know where he's going. And if it has or is working, why are so many people insecure and anxious about who they are and why has anxiety and depression depression and insecurity and frustration and anger seem to be on the rise? Why, by most measures, are we less happy than we used to be? And many studies validate this. Here's the sum of all of this by David Jopling, and I want to give you one phrase to kind of understand the underlying element of this in terms of where I'm coming from. And believe me, I don't have all the answers, and I don't want to sound preachy this morning. The self is too complexly figured to be accessible to a single finite mind inquiring into itself by itself. Now that's kind of a self-corroborating kind of statement, but what he's trying to say, I believe, is that we are just too complex in the way God created us to try to look within ourselves and be our only answer to ourselves. If you're relying on yourself to find yourself, you are in trouble. And if you're relying on Google as your primary personal assistant you are in trouble and this postmodern way of being human by focusing only on ourselves and finding ourselves from ourselves while understandable i believe is a dead end and it's actually not new and maybe that's a surprise as well it's as old It's the first man, Adam. It's the story of Adam. It's Genesis chapter 3 and the story of the fall. And we can't go into all of that today, but, uh, but there is the temptation of expressive individualism that is at work in Adam and Eve to take their life their destiny, their identity into their own hands. Let me make three remarks about that. They choose themselves over an external authority. They believe asserting more freedom will bring them more life. And they make moral judgments based on personal preference. What happens in Genesis chapter 3 seems to align very much with what is being described by the soci- sociologist as expressive individualism. But now we're in the Gospel of Luke and why the reason this is all relevant for our passage today is our passage in Luke chapter 4 I believe is also like Genesis 3, an original description in the Bible where the battle of identity is being fought. I want to read 4, 1 through 3 again. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil And he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, this premier question of identity, then tell this stone to become bread. What's the big deal about eating bread when you're super-hungry? I mean, who gets hurt if he turns that stone into bread? It looks to me like a rather victimless action. How does it cause harm? How could it be that bad? Isn't it normal to satisfy our physical needs? What could be wrong with that? But it does raise a question. I'll pose to you. When you are in a weakened and confused state, will you trust your father or yourself? And just like in Genesis 3, this phrase, if you are the son of God, this question of identity subtly suggests that Jesus had a right to something that God was withholding. You see, in the garden, humanity began to fall when Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness and acted independently of the Father. And here, Jesus' identity is also given by God. And now he is tempted to act independently of God. And it's his relationship as if his relationship with God doesn't really matter in that moment. You see, it was the Spirit that had led Jesus into the desert to forgo the food for 40 40 days. I say that because God knows what we need. And for Jesus to forsake the dependence on God, to act independently, repeats the garden, the fall. And had Jesus given in, He would no longer be the new Adam. He would be just like the old one, relying on self. You remember Jesus comes back from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, and he says that, well, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, who feeds me? Who leads my life? From whom do I take direction? Who can I trust? So I want to make this point unmistakably clear this morning. Jesus doesn't understand His identity by looking within. But directly from God and God's Word. And if the temptation here relates to as identity, as I'm making the case that it does, if you are the Son of God, then remember again how the strength of His identity was given to Him. Where did we talk about it in the last couple of weeks? I know some of you all, as you're going to camp, are thinking about giving your life to Christ in His baptism. His identity didn't come from within, but from outside of Himself. From heaven. And then it was reinforced by a community and by his family. So we remember at his baptism what those words were. We can put them up there again. You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. First of all, you are my son. This is the most important declaration of identity that exists in the world. This is what every person in this auditorium, whether you realize it or not, this morning, most needs. To know that you are a child of God. That is your first identity, first and foremost. It's not a student, it's not a doctor. It's not a parent. It's a child of God. Daughter of God. And this identity doesn't come from within. It is bestowed on Jesus. It is given as a gift in His baptism. You are my son. It goes with you wherever and whenever you go. And all of his perfection and the merit of that now belong to us who have participated in that baptism into Christ. Maybe say it this way. Can we live like a child and not like an orphan? You all know a few months ago I had my sabbatical and I was not in a very good frame of mind and I was struggling with my own everything about my role here and about the church and, you know, you look around on Sunday morning, it was all just pretty discouraging and I just I felt completely completely wiped out and defeated in so many respects. And I went away, and I went to that, went to a cabin for a couple of days, and when I was at the cabin, I was trying to work through this, and, and, and I, I wrote down a phrase, and I went back and read it this week, and it said this, I was talking about myself, I am at once both completely expendable, And infinitely valuable. My worth is extraordinary. But it doesn't come from my production. But my being as a child of the Creator. external identity, bestowed. Second phrase, whom I love. We are social creatures. We need love. And here we see the Lord willing to give it to us just as He did to Jesus. Dr. Susan Blaine, just a couple of weeks ago in our class here, I interviewed her during the Bible class time, and she's a child psychologist sitting right back here. And much of her work is built on attachment theory that children, babies develop in a relationship to their primary caregiver. That caregiver provides security, provides acceptance, provides communication, provides love, and every mother knows this, knows what that child needs and knows what's going on in their little brain to a certain degree. And it is this constant interaction between parent and child that allows the child to develop. You see, the child grows and becomes who the child can be in the context of relationship, not on its own, Persons come to know themselves by being known by a significant other. And what is understood in the field of psychology is witnessed by Scripture through and through. The Father's love. For Jesus, the Father's love for each one of you. And then, with whom I am well pleased, that is the Father's affirmation that meets these deep, deep needs within us for for recognition and for acceptance. And if we could see this, with whom I am well pleased, it is this type of blessing that the Father bestows on Jesus is what unites us as human beings, rather than being divided into identity splinters. If we could see at a deeper taproot of who we are as God's creation, that's our first and foremost identity. Now Rosner as I mentioned earlier goes on to say that even more important than our knowledge and here I'm up here trying to bestow and empower and help us with some knowledge but even more than that is God's knowledge of us and so we see it in this passage you are my son. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased that Jesus is now armed to say no to the temptations that are coming at him because of understanding who the Father is saying about him. And this idea of more than our knowledge is God's knowledge of us is a powerful idea in scripture and I just want to leave you with a couple of passages and I'll finish with an illustration. The first one of this from 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and the reason I'm pointing this out is so much of my ministry has been about what I want someone to believe, what I want someone to do with their faith, and that's all good. But even deeper than that is the goodness of God that is there if we will see it and claim it in spite of who we are or what we do or what we believe. Paul says, for now we only see, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. Get this. Even as I am fully known. He repeats the idea in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9. He says it this way But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Known by God calls you to something higher. Now, Demetrius, our brother back here, was asking not just who am I, but who am I in God's eye? And that's a better question. Who does God say that I am? And as he continued with writing, this was all during Bible class last week, he said this. Because in Jeremiah 29, 11 it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Those are affirmations of identity into his life that are not coming from within but from without. That's a passage of identity affirmation. And so he finishes and I, he concludes and I'll finish. Who am I? A person that knows if I go through something I don't Go through it alone. Because I have God with me. I have my family with me. I have my church family with me. Amen? Let's sing together.